four parts passion, two parts history. One dash of sarcasm, one pinch of recipes, one drop of questionable advice. This is Love on the Rocks. I'm Sailor. And I'm Kayla. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome to the show, everyone. Hopefully you were expecting it. If you weren't expecting it, well, surprise, here's a new show. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited about this show. This is called Love on the Rocks, and it is all about us basically nerding out, geeking out on cocktails, on spirits, on all things alcohol-related, and more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the history of those things as well. Absolutely. So if you don't know us, I am Sailor, and I host the Metal Rock and Whiskey show, as well as Pretty Good for a Girl. I am a mixologist for too many years that I care to mention, (laughs) a brand ambassador, and a cocktail book author. So I always say I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I wouldn't call myself an expert. And No. (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't know when I have tried to ask people who are titled as experts. Like, when did you get to the point where you felt you were an expert? Yeah. And unless they're in academia, they will never say they're an expert. Like, oh, no, no, no. That's what my agent titled me or whatever. They're like, I don't feel like I'm an expert. Um, But if you're in academia, you're an expert. Apparently, the minute you graduate or something, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You write your first thesis. Your official title. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kayla's also a mixologist and bartender extraordinaire. Also a great big dork. <laughs> Lots of drinking got me here. Um, oh, so if yeah. you want to call me an expert, I- I'll take it. <laughs> an expert. I would say I'm an expert drinker. That's yeah, fair. I'll take that. I've drank around the world. Mm-hmm. That would probably make me an expert drinker. Yeah, you, you haven't blacked out every time. No, not every time. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> so, uh, what are you drinking tonight, my dear? Well, we're taking it light. I'm actually just drinking a beer, which I feel like is a very odd way to start off our wonderful show here. <laughs> I'm drinking the uh, Oberon. This is their American Wheat Ale made by Bell's. And it's just really nice and light and refreshing. I've actually been super getting into beer cocktails. I love beer cocktails. They're like a little bit lower ABV. You can build on flavors. You get kind of like that nice frothy mouth texture from a beer. And so it creates some really cool drinks. Yeah. I also, you know, it's the beginning of summer when we are recording this early June. I always start craving beer in the summers. If I'm grilling, it's hard to not have a beer in my hand while I'm, you know, on the back deck grilling. There's a fantastic book called it's called beer on beer on tap. What that? No, cocktails on tap. That doesn't make sense. Cocktails on tap. Phenomenal book. I need to look up the author because you know how I am with names. I I remember. This is the other reason I'll never be an expert. I remember <laughs> a little bit about a lot of things. Just like knowing a little bit about a lot of things. Exactly. I'm, I'm right there my, with you. My memory is shit. It's a fantastic book that kind of goes into the history of beer cocktails, and um, I love making beer cocktails. When I first moved out here to the Pacific Northwest, I was working at a brewery and established a beer cocktail program for them. Jacob Greer. It's called Cocktails on Tap, The Art of Mixing Spirits and Beer. That is Um, a great book. It is a fantastic book. I mean, it's really, it can be super, it can be as simple as mixing in bitter tinctures or potable bitters with infused syrups. 
and beer. You can add other alcohol to it, other spirits to it. It's a really yummy, yummy option, especially with light beer for spring and summer. I think the first time I ever had kind of what you would consider a beer cocktail was when I lived in Belgium. I was bartending and someone asked me for a mazout. And I'm like, what the heck is a mazout? I had to ask the other bartender. It's one of these like very Belgian things. You know, I had to learn like what a pint was in Dutch and, you know, all the thing. And I'm like, that one I haven't heard. And he's like, oh, yeah, you just add Coca-Cola, a little Coca-Cola on the bottom of the glass and then fill it with beer, like the Pilsner. And I'm yeah. like, and I just immediately, I was like, ugh, what? <laughs> Gross. And so <laughs> I served them for the longest time. And finally one night I'm like. I'm gonna, I got to try one of these things and just see how gross it is. Yeah. It wasn't gross at all. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with a, Belg- a Belgian Pilsner. Yeah. And then when I went to Spain, I used to spend my summers in Barcelona. They have a, they have shampoo. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, mention that it's, up. Yeah. yeah. It's Sprite and beer, you know, yeah. very simple, but, and it has, gets a big foamy head on it. And that's why they call it shampoo. I think it's so cute that they call it shampoo. And so I started drinking those things in the summer every once in a while. And uh, then I went to Italy and uh, there was a bar in Italy that was doing very, was kind of, I think it's, I think they're all very similar and it's like its own regional take on it. And they were doing beer with Amari, of course, you know, different, you could add different Amaris to the beer. So I think it was a, um, I think it was an, uh, an Amari Nonino and, and Italian beers are very light, like a Nonino and it was probably like a shot I can't remember specifically of Nonino in one of these very light Italian beers and they added a little bit of limoncello to it Ooh, lovely! so yummy that sounds yes. really good it's delicious yeah I could I could get down on that hell yeah <laughs> super yum I am tonight though drinking so when sometimes I like to treat my alcohol like it's medicine so <laughs> I'm drinking some it's very good for the urinary tract. I'm having cranberry juice. <laughs> <laughs> How historic apropos of you. <laughs> right? And I'm drinking it with a really nice honey spirit from Up North Distillery in Post Falls, Idaho. It's, they make beautiful, so they're craft distillery. I adore them so much, and I actually work with them. They make meat. They make apple brandies and apple ciders, hard ciders, of course, that are distilled, not brewed. Beautiful, beautiful spirits. Some are barrel-aged, some are not. And this this is a white honey spirit, and it is delicious. So I put this a little bit of cranberry juice, some lemon juice, and I put a little, actually, Amaro Nonino in there. Speaking of the Nonino. Yeah, so just light and crisp and healthy, right? Yeah, extra healthy. healthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you said it was white. Are they doing a filtration on that? No, I mean, it's it's a distilled honey spirit, so it's going to come out of the still clear. So okay. the only time you're going to get color on that is if you put it in a barrel. It's not cut or filtered? No, it is not. Just like with their brandy, they have white and then they have barrel aged. And so... So good. The apple brandy is so incredible, especially the barrel age. If you're a whiskey lover, you would love this stuff. We definitely have to do a show on American brandy because American brandy is actually the first American spirit. Even though bourbon (laughs) is our native spirit, it is not our first spirit. Yeah. Now you cannot, so you have to say apple brandy because a grape based brandy was, is, was not, that was imported. Rum yeah. was imported, but yeah. our first, and as a matter of fact, I believe our first distillery 
registered distillery was an apple brandy distillery. Was that Laird? Apple Laird's. Brandy? That's right. Yeah. Yep. I think so. In the time of George Washington. <laughs> See, what I love about that story, too, is the fact, well, and this is its own show for sure, but the fact that, like, everybody be talking about Donald, Johnny Appleseed, yeah. he was planting, yeah. you know, apple trees. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't for apple pie, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Damn right. <laughs> that was for some apple brandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yes. some apple pie. The other kind of apple pie. Yeah, the other Not kind. The <laughs> Liquid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Liquid gold. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have to do a show on that because I'm building a class on that. I teach classes once a month at the distillery. This month, I'm going to be doing a um, wi- American whiskey history tour. So I'm going to start in New York with rye whiskey, but I'm actually going to start with brandy, yes, apple girl. brandy first, then rye whiskey. We're going to do it historically, then bourbon, Tennessee whiskey. We're going to go to Texas, a little Texas whiskey. We're going to go up to Nevada or Utah, do a little Utah whiskey. I'm sure many of you can guess what brands I'm going to use. And then <laughs> I know. Then we're going to come out west to Washington State for American malt. So it's going to kind of, it's like a historical tour across the region to see how American whiskey has developed. So that'll be really fun. I love your progression there because that is like, that's not only like basically chronological, but also it's the trends too, where you're feeding off of like, and finishing with the single malt. If if you guys are, if our audience isn't aware yet, single malt is where it's at. We were just talking about that the other day. Absolutely. And I was on a webinar this morning with our friend, Nicole Austin, who is head distiller at Cascade Hollow, who makes George Dickel. And they, we are discussing the, the TTB is proposing new changes to laws for the craft, American craft spirits industry. It's very serious shit. Let me tell you. And one of those is the American craft Spirits Association, they are they want a category for American malt whiskey as as we should have that. That is definitely the next trend in whiskey for I don't even want to say trend. It's the next it's already happening. And being in the Pacific Northwest, in my opinion, and this is can cause contention with some people when I bring it up. I don't think you're gonna get the best bourbon out of an area like this. I if I was a whiskey distiller out here, I would be making American malt whiskey. Furthermore, if you're on the Pacific Coast, Oregon, you know, Northern California, Oregon, Washington, you can grow peat. So American peated malts, barley grows. I just, I think with the, the terrain that we have, the climate that we have, it's perfect for that. So exactly. A lot of people don't take that into account because I think they get into the idea that we're in modern times, you can create any climate essentially with a infrastructure, it can be expensive, but they feel like they can kind of create anything and they can also ship in any grain they want. And so we've kind of lost touch with like the terroir. We've lost touch with like how much our environment can really impact things. And I really think if you let, you know, mother nature run its course with a spirit, it has a whole other life to it. That's so much more valuable and really delicious. And we're losing that with a lot of manufactured flavors. So thing is, I think right on point. Absolutely. I think that's a lot of the problem with MGP. I love that American rye is coming back and that it's coming back in the Empire State where it's really, that's the origin of American whiskey. So I love that New York now has its own grain type of rye called Empire Rye. 
that's what you should be growing up there and that's the type of whiskey you should be making up there. Perfect. You know, in your southern states where corn grows well and you have that the hot, humid, you know, the crazy changes, the electrical storms, you know, just all summer long, like just the crazy changes in weather and all that humidity, it's, uh, that's great for corn. Texas knows that they're good at growing barley as well. And so you see a lot of Texas whiskeys have a lot of barley content in them. Okay. So instead of purchasing corn whiskey from other regions, just grow in your own backyard what grows best. And make amazing whiskey out of that. You know, there is room for a whole breadth of whiskey. I think yeah. we're learning that now, seeing Japanese whiskey, you know, kick the market's ass. Now, Indian whiskey is the next to watch. Um, I've been watching Indian whiskey very closely. More Amer- Americans that previously were not drinking scotch are now opening their minds and hearts to scotch. I am one of them. I was never a scotch drinker. I think that's probably where we're going to see the American market go. I hope it continues that way that we see, you know, grain type and and whiskey being directly related to its terroir. I think that is how it should go because that's the origin of all of our spirits. Yeah. Embracing those challenges is what makes spirits so cool. If anybody out there questions or is curious why we get so passionate about these topics and why we get so you know, intrigued by the history. It's because these were like life or death moments for families. When you were developing a spirit or a cocktail or, you know, an identity, it was something that the culture wrapped around. And each spirit has this incredibly difficult story of overcoming. And uh, when they reach that final stage where, hey, it's it's modern times. And guess what? Irish whiskey didn't get kicked out. And it was really close there. <laughs> right, <laughs> but right. Those amazing facets to the history is yeah. what makes the spirit what they are. And so it's really cool. That's, I mean, that's why we get so geeky about this is because mm-hmm. lives were a hard one. <laughs> this was a very, battle. Yes, very much so. So that kind of brings us around to the topic that we felt we wanted to start the show with. We, we kind of, we're going to try our best to make this linear, we will definitely zigzag along the way, but we're going to start off talking about the term cocktail and the first drink coined a cocktail. I think that's the best, do you think that's the best way to say it? Because saying the first cocktail, understand that these things have been around for so very long that a lot of, a lot of the backstories are very disputed and we're not really sure because the origin of some of these things were before we were even a country and I don't want to give too much away yet, but so we're going to say the origin of the term cocktail and the first known documented technical cocktail. (laughs) How we define a cocktail is coming from this, this one time period. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, okay, so Kayla and I both teach and we train and we we train bartenders or bar owners. Um, that's part of the work that we do. So we have to have all of these stories in our pockets or we have to sit down and write, you know, I write tons and tons of script and note cards for my classes as I know you do the same thing. I've seen some of your, your training guides, <laughs> training manuals. So we... We wanted to talk about 
we both thought it was funny that we have different stories that we tell. So Kayla, I'm going to let you go first. So if you, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of talk about the first date that I know of in written history where they referred to the cocktail was in 1806, which I believe was in the British repository is the, the name of the article. And they referred to the, the cocktail. He, the writer said, had a drink of a cocktail this morning. Excellent for the head. <laughs> drank a yeah, glass yeah. of cocktail yes excellent for the head called at the doctors found Burnham. he looked very wise drank another glass of cocktail <laughs> <laughs> yes so as you guys can see historically the idea here was that you started off your day with a drink it mm-hmm. wasn't kind of like a way you ended the night you started off your day to kind of wake up and i will preface that they did have mixed drinks that were known like the 1600s that was like the era of punch. They had like hot punches and cold punches, typically a punch. And I, I'm just going to throw this little tidbit in there. But punch comes from the word punch, which is uh, Hindi for five. And so that is referring to like the five ingredients that are in punch, which is a spirit of any kind, sugar, water, citrus, and then spice. Typically, they use like a lot of nutmeg. So if you recognize those five ingredients, they'll come back once we kind of talk about how a cocktail is different from that. So that really came from a lot of the British Empire coming into India and um, embracing what punch was. And so once again, a story of colonialism. That's going to come up a lot. That's going (laughs) to come up when we talk about gin and tonics. Oh, yeah. That's going to come up when we talk about bitter tinctures. I mean, the gin and tonic, my, that's one of my favorite cocktail stories to tell. And yeah. it has everything to do with the British Army in India. So that will come up. Colonialism and slavery, all those fun things. Oh, Pirateering, yeah. raping and pillaging. Not really raping, yeah. but maybe pillaging. Sometimes. <laughs> As we said, it's a history that is hard won. <laughs> so for all of these things to exist, there's so much that happened. That wasn't like, oh, this is just a story of someone else doing something or it just kind of like fell into place. Like we like to pretend like, oh, I just I just go to the bar and I drink a Manhattan and we don't really give it a second thought. But like that drink came from somewhere. It came from these people who had lives and other stories and histories and and cultures that were kind of buried and calling like manifest destiny is in no small way a part of transferring that information onto the rest of us. So we have that there and we kind of come to this stage where all spirits are still considered medicinal. It really started with the monks back in the 12th and 13th century. And we think we see things like Benedictine, which I think was made in 1510 and uh, Chartreuse, which is in 1605. Those are monastic liqueurs and they were made to heal people. It was all medicine. It was all medicine for ages and ages and ages. Yes, you could get drunk. And yes, that was a possibility, but it was all medicine. So them starting off with the cocktail as a way to start your day was just both kind of a remnant of like healing the ails of drinking a little bit too much the night before, but also it could just be because that's how you started your day. And so my story (laughs) and how I think it differs from sailors (laughs) is that mine comes from David Wondrich, who, just so everyone knows... We're not worthy. Um, We're not worthy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's my, uh, my uh, cocktail boyfriend, I guess I would say. 
He's like the <laughs> in the spirits world and, and not the spirits world, like the living dead or anything like that. The uh, alcohol <laughs> spirit for future reference. I will always call them spirits. He's the one who said that the cocktail, it came from the idea that when a, a horse was racing, they would wake a horse up for the race. So they would literally cock the horse's tail, stick something up the horse's bum. Yep. And it was awoken for the race. And that is my favorite history of the cocktail ever. Because for all of these fancy pants that love to come in and talk about cocktails or like for the people who are just, you know, I like my whiskey soda and they don't like anything else. Or for the people who just come in and order the same drink every time because they feel like cocktails are highfalutin. I just want you to remember that story. Yeah. That very appetizing story of a horse's ass. <laughs> So that's oh, my that's my interpretation or understanding of the history of the term cocktail. There's a little more in there, which I'll get into probably in a second. But first, I want to hear all about your history, Sailor. <laughs> so nobody argues what a cocktail definition is, right? Well, you know, we don't in the industry. We we know what the actual definition, you know, what the origin definition was. So your story, it, it, and of course, is is. I think there's only two or three stories that are really the rival stories. Another one is it's said to be of great use to a Democratic candidate because a person having swallowed a glass of it is ready to swallow anything else. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Unreal. So, (laughs) so good. One of the thing, the, the difficulties I have is when mixed drinks versus cocktails. I don't know if this that's a point of contention for me. I think too, because it's kind of how I approach some of the training I do at bars when, you know, bar owners hire me and they're like, well, I just don't understand why, you know, like that bar and that bar is, you know, slammed and we're, and I'm like, well, you're making mixed drinks and pouring beer. And they give me this look like, well, and I'm like, that's a cocktail bar. And they're like, what's the difference? I'm like, have a seat. (laughs) (laughs) let's talk yes so your story about either docking the tail of the horse or giving it a suppository (laughs) to get it spirit to make it spirited (laughs) (laughs) there's also a story and this appears in a newspaper article somewhere in the 1800s it's one of these you know how we say i think it was the early 1800s we said all these you know these damn kids and their crazy rock and roll and you listen to jazz now and people put on jazz to like chill out and you're like, oh, I mean, what young kid at 10 years old is like, I'm rocking out to this jazz record. Mm-hmm. Jazz was considered, you kids with your crazy rock and roll. Think about that. Beethoven's yeah. music was considered yeah. too salacious for ladies to listen to. It was a little outrageous if you saw young women. I think it was young unmarried women, right? listening to his music because it was considered almost pornographic because it invoked emotion. God forbid. So there was, you know, these, I don't, I don't remember what their, what they called them. Like, you know, the flappers were called something and the, the teenagers became a term. It was, it was one of these, you know, kind of groups of young people and and they they were wealthy and fashionable and would get up in the morning and be hungover or want to go play tent lawn tennis and start the day and they would have a cocktail and a physician suggested to put a juice of some sort in there in the morning to really get you going into it was a healthful vitamin rich drink and so they used to say that they were chasing the tail of the cock in the morning. And that's how the term cocktail uh, really took hold 
in reference to drinks that were more than just a highball, you know, a two-component drink. So that's the story that I like to tell because I like to imagine what these young, crazy kids looked like in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. And how wild they pop. Were they riding their bikes really fast? I don't know. Their bicycles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They were playing lawn tennis before noon. (laughs) But I love all the stories. I love that Wikipedia actually cites David one David Wondrich, and he they cite that he likes to tell the story about the suppository of the animal's ass. That's my favorite um, story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also so the third less popular one, and I have to tell you, it's probably the right one. Is that the term cocktail is a corruption of a cock ale? Have you heard this one? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Twisting of the terms. Right. So a cock ale uh, was a popular term in the seven or as early as the 17th century in England. And it was an ale whose recipe consisted of normal ale brewed inside a container to which was later added a bag stuffed with a parboiled skinned and gutted cock and various other fruits and spices. That's fucking disgusting. But (laughs) nonetheless, there you go. So since that term became popular in the 17th century predates all the stories we're talking about so most likely that might be related and is probably uh i don't know i think there's a relationship but i don't think it's like what took over (laughs) that's my 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 theory my the way i see it is that there is like oh this sounds like that and and that was very that's to this day that's still a lot of like British slang or European slang is yeah. like things that sound like it. That's yeah. like another, like all cool like Cockney. Like that's, well, Cockney. Yeah. I mean, the, the way they do the wordplay. Yeah, exactly. You and have so to agree I, to understand Cockney. <laughs> you really do. Or to make up your own terms. Like, wait, is it supposed to be backwards, the abbreviation, and then frontwards? I can't remember. I don't There's know. There's a rule to it. Who the hell knows? It, it's like you have to, it, they have to rhyme. I know that. Yeah, that too, yeah. But yeah, I feel like the whole idea, like it sounds like this, but I don't think it took off. I feel like that's why we didn't really hear about it more until like the 18th century. And also like when you don't, when you see like the mixed drinks that they were making. So this is now a good time for me to talk about the second part that I think is very important is our idea of this wonderful classic drink, the old fashioned. Which mm-hmm. is near and dear to every bartender's heart, and it should be. As long as I've been understanding and coming to knowledge of like what makes drinks so amazing, the old fashioned is there's not a better drink. I'm just gonna say that. I don't think that there's a better drink than the old fashioned. I have other drinks that are my go-tos. I like my go-to drink is like a Boulevardier or like a Kingston Negroni. Those are my go-to drinks personally after I get up a, a long day of work. But I don't think there's a better constructed drink than the old fashioned um, because it's simple. And, and it's so, also the, a measure of a bartender. It, I completely so, agree. So us bartenders can be assholes sometimes. I will only do this in places that tout that they are a craft cocktail bar or make craft cocktails or, you know, whatever. I'll say, all right, I'm going to have an old fashioned and we'll see. And then I'll know. If they make a really good old-fashioned, I'll be like, yes, I can ask for anything. Then I get super excited. Otherwise, I'm just going to have whiskey neat or a Campari, you know, and soda. But if they make a good, and especially if they make it the way you ask. So I don't like super sweet drinks. And that's, so I will always say, 
light on the sweetness, heavy on the bitters. And you can usually tell with the acknowledgement that they get it, you know, and you're like, all right, I'm in good. But yeah, the, it, it is the perfect, it's the perfect cocktail. It really is. When we talked about, we talked about punch and how it's five ingredients. It's the spirit of any kind, sugar, water, citrus, and spice. Well, the original cocktail, the definition, it came with four ingredients. It was a spirit of any kind, uh, sugar, water, and bitters. So there's no citrus in there. And uh, you can put oil, like citrus oil in there. Um, but that really comes in line with like our understanding of bitters and the job that the bitters are doing. Mm-hmm. Because most bitters are play on orange aromatics. But really, that kind of includes that right there. So a lot of people were making that. That was that you would go up to a bar and you would just say, I'll have the cocktail. You wouldn't say, I'll have the gimlet. The gimlet didn't exist yet. You wouldn't mm-hmm. say, I'll have the, like, there just was the cocktail. And now you could choose it with different bases. You could get it with gin, uh, depending on where you were. You could get this same combination of ingredients with rum a lot of time because rum was just like majorly in flux into the States. Again, a dark history with the slave trade. There was just tons of molasses being made. They were literally throwing molasses into the ocean. So rum was being made in excess. Rum is typically made from sugarcane and molasses. And so that was getting shipped into the States like crazy. And of course, we talked a little bit about brandy already. Brandy, uh, the the pilgrims especially, but they love their Calvados, which was a brandy made from apples. And so they were making their own. So you might have this same concoction with all four ingredients, but the spirit could change. If you were maybe Southwest, you might get it with tequila. So really they could get it with whatever. And then because rye was growing so well up north. We should say that first, the first true old fashioned was made with brandy. We were not making whiskey in this country yet. The The base spirit has changed. And so first of all, also, it was called a bitter sling before it was called an old-fashioned. It, yeah. it was called an old-fashioned because they were referring back to that old-fashioned drink called the bitter sling. Okay. We're about to mention Spoiler. rye. So when people ask for an old-fashioned, I always ask, mm-hmm. do you have a preference of rye or bourbon? To me, an old-fashioned is made with rye. Period. End of story. But I've heard a lot of people that are from Wisconsin, Minnesota, some of these places. If you ask for an old fashioned, you're going to get brandy. I love that. You have to say a whiskey old fashioned. I think that's I just think that's great. Yeah. If you like a drink, I'm not going to steal that from you. Drink what you like. Yeah. We always say drink it how you like it. We may I may turn my nose up a little bit as I'm making it, but I want you to be happy. I want you to like it and enjoy yourself. And if I can like take you down a road that maybe you weren't planning on taking, that's even more fun. Mm -hmm. So it has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with like stealing away people's experiences, but just adding more onto the experiences that they already have. Technically, they still hadn't called it old fashioned yet. They were still, I'm still just talking about the idea of a cocktail. And so you would go, yeah, a bitter sling. And then, well, then when they would go up and say, I'll have the cocktail with bartenders could never just leave well enough alone. They had to keep playing with it. So you'd see like they would add absinthe sometimes or Luxardo. Like they would add different kinds of liqueurs and they called it the improved cocktail. Mm -hmm. And so they were playing around with it and it changed its name. It changed, you know, that, but they still didn't have like a million different cocktails out there. There weren't a variety of different, you know, things you could choose from. 
it was just mostly the cocktail, but you just switched out the base spirit. You know, guests were so happy with their original drink, the original way that they had it, that they asked for a cocktail, they would say to their bartender, like, hey, can you just make mine the old fashioned way? Like they didn't want the new improved cocktail. And that is how the old fashioned was born. We also had the flip in there as well. Mm, I love so, a good flip. Me too. I love a good, you get a, you get a sling, a flip and a float. And so this is something, it, it's kind of funny. You can, <laughs> I've approached when I've trained several times and, you know, bartenders like, oh yeah, I'm really good with craft cocktails. I'm like, give me a flip, a float and a sling. Uh-huh. And they're, sometimes they'll just stare at me and sometimes they'll go right to it. I'm like, yes, see everybody. Johnny knows what he's talking about because he knows the difference between them. And so, yeah, as they got fancier, as this started getting added and that's, and furthermore, as ice was added, as you had hoteliers in hiring, what was it? 12 uh, young boys to stand there and shake cocktails in a bar that's another that we really have to do a show about that the bar back yeah the birth of the bar back and where that came from because I've been in that bar in that hotel in New Orleans I had the drink I don't want to spoil it too much they use a machine now that was brilliantly converted from a paint shaker you know the the machines that shake your wall paint and they they so they could automate shaking this specific cocktail that takes supposedly you know eight million years to shake right which isn't really true but it's 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 a what do you call it urban legend no it's like a people love to go there and order this cocktail and see them shaking it in the machine and think it really takes this long it's 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 a it's a gag you know it's it's a fun gag it's part of the reason why you go it's part of the mythology of it absolutely you know the fantasy about the the drink yep Yep. And so they would say, you know, I'm hearkening back to when cocktails were simple. Give me that old fashioned way. Mm -hmm. Those are those are like my favorite. Oh, I love that we're starting off this whole series this way because there's just so much fun to the history there. Like everything that everything that we drink and we drink like it just we just order it. There's no thought to it. Sometimes I don't know about our listeners but I know that I didn't learn how to drink in college. I learned how to get drunk. And yes, so absolutely. we want to defeat that. We want to defeat the yeah. evils of prohibition, yeah. bring back the good old drinks, yes. and really just empower people to feel confident that like, not only when you go up to a bar, you can order what you want, but also for our bartenders out there who feel like they don't have the tools or resources, it's all an open, wide conversation and nothing is too good for anybody. Everything we're talking Never. about is really realistic and normal history that belongs to everyone. It's not like you don't have to pay $100 to get this education. That's it's right. right there available in your glass. And if you've got the right bartenders, and and I will tell you right now, Sailor and I are the right bartenders. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hang with you guys and we will uh, have some great drinks and be able to talk all about this history. Hell Yeah. That's and I uh, that's it's important that people feel and I think that's really there are a lot of cocktail podcasts out there of course we know you could be listening to so many of them with people who are who are well known and famous and maybe cooler than us I don't know I think Kayla's pretty damn cool <laughs> <laughs> I think what our really what our approach is that we want everyone to understand that the fanciest of cocktails Really, you can make it. Mm-hmm. You can drink it. You can understand it. 
that is the key to being able to walk into every bar, hopefully one day in the U.S., and getting a quality cocktail that is consistent every time. Whether that's your straight-up gin and tonic, vodka martini, although vodka is a dirty word in this household, you know, your rum and coke. Believe it or not, it's not as simple as just throwing rum and coke together. Believe it or not, go figure. It really isn't. You want to make sure you're using the right portions. So that's really what we hope to share with you is nerding out on the history of it. You know, you'll be the cool person at the party like, oh, did you know that that martini, blah, blah, blah. Did you know the old fashioned origin? You know, so, um, but also just making it really approachable. And that's yeah. the whole point. Yeah, this is for everybody. Yes. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. And we hope you'll continue to listen to the show. Absolutely. This was Love on the Rocks. Four parts passion, two parts history. One dash of sarcasm, one pinch of recipes, one drop of questionable advice.